morning. <coughs> okay, brethren, uh, as a matter of introduction, we're going to be focusing today on the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Um, we've been learning so much uh, of this Gospel in the service when we are preaching in the Hispanic service. And we'll be reading uh, shortly about the verses of chapter 25, the last part that we will be focusing on. But we want to say that this is called the Olivet, the Olivet Discourse. Because in chapter 25 and the rest of the chapter that we'll be talking about, they are together, the chapters that is considered that the Lord sat in the Mount of Olive to talk about them. Um, the Mount of Olives is a small range of four summits that uh, is about 2,500 feet above uh, sea level. And the Lord uh, in this place was where he talked about what is considered the longer, the longer aspect of the second coming of the of the Lord, the longest teaching of the end of times that we have in the Gospels, in the what is called the Synoptic Gospels, that are Mark, Matthew, and Luke. Um, let's read our verses. Uh, we'll be reading from Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in His glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something, something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick. And you look after me, I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you didn't do for one of the least of these, you did not do so for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Uh, let's pray before we start the preaching. Thank you, Father, for your word. Help us focus, pay attention, because even though it's coming through a weak and fragile man, is your word. We pray, Father, that your spirit apply it to our hearts in the condition that we are at now, that she may edify the saints and bring salvation to those that don't know you. We praise you and love you. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. And in these verses, uh, so... Uh, Famously, famously known, in Matthew 25, we will be talking today about two points. We'll be focusing on two points today. Number one, every human being will have a judgment day before Christ. And number two, your life is a visible manifestation of your faith. Um, let's go to our first point. Every human being will have a judgment, a judgment day before Christ. And in our first verse that we were reading, we can see that you can note there in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. So there is talking about Christ. And this term, the Son of Man, was used by Christ to refer to his person. Actually, it was the preferred way for the Lord to refer to himself. But we find, looking at scripture, that this was not the first time this term was used in God's word. We can see in the book of Psalms that is used in a poetic way to refer to ordinary men, to ordinary human beings. But we can see too that God himself used it to refer to the prophet Ezekiel in the book that bears his name. So we find this term in the Old Testament, but in particular, there's a verse, there's a text in the book of Daniel, in chapter 7. In the book of Daniel, chapter 7, we see that Daniel had a vision of the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. And right there, we see a different connotation. We see a different meaning. And our Lord used to call himself the Son of Man. When we read more on the book of Daniel, we see that this Son of Man comes in the clouds of heaven. And 
in a scripture that is a sign of divine authority, of power, of majesty. Right there we see that Christ was calling himself the Son of Man, and he was just the fulfillment of prophecy. That Son of Man that Daniel had the vision about was nothing other than our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that in our text it tells us that he is coming in the clouds of heaven in his glory. And this word uh, tells us much more than just that he was uh, appreciated or important. Glory in scripture means magnificence, means beauty, power, majesty, honor. And this is Christ in his second coming. We see that he comes with the angels with him to do his will, to do what the Lord commands of them. And this uh, help us uh, think of the text that this coming is completely different from what we saw in the first coming. When our Lord came, in humiliation, in shame. And our brother Leonardo was talking about that. He made himself a man, suffered, was humble, tortured. And now we see a completely different picture. That Christ that came to be mocked, laughed at, crucified, falsely accused, now is going to be the judge of every human being, of every person on planet earth. Even those who mock him will have to face him now, empowered, immortal, the judge of every human being. Um, we see that he sit on his glorious throne. And commentaries think that the glory of the throne is not in the throne itself, but on Christ, that honored the throne by sitting on it. So there we are seeing the deity of Christ. We are seeing the revelation of our Lord as the second person of the Trinity, coming down from heaven to judge the earth. And we see that these verses should puzzle us to think about what that means, to make us meditate on it. But more than that, to fear and tremble if we are not living and trusting in him, if we are not serving him, because one day we will be held accountable for what we did with the talents and gifts that he gave to us. I'm thinking of these uh, verse we think that everybody including believers will be before him on that day to give an account of our life even us even you that are there that profess to know him will have to give an account of what you did with your life and this should take us to our second point your life is a visible manifestation of your faith 
what you profess to know about him is going to be evidence but the life that you live. Um, with this, we should read verses 32 through 34 to put the context of what we will be talking about. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And in verse, I guess I read verse 34. I'm going to read uh, 32 and, and 33. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And we see in this text that the Lord continues his ministry. The three more important aspects of uh, the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ were teaching, healing, and preaching the gospel. And even in this scene that we are going through today, this text that we are analyzing is uh, just about a week, uh, is a, it's just before the week of what is called the Passion, the suffering and death of our Lord. And we see that even there, as he knows what he's going to face, he continues teaching the disciples on the things that are going to take place. And we see in this text that even though everybody is going to be before the throne of Christ to give an account, in this case we see a difference, we see a change, even in what Christ will be talking to us about in that day. But continue uh, on the text. We're going to talk about the, the goats and the sheep. The Lord in teaching is putting the daily scene that was so common in the life of the people of Israel that was uh, raising goats and sheep. And it seems that sometimes they were together during the day. Goats and sheep. They were together grazing, but they will be separated at night because the goats were more sensitive to the cold weather. So they needed to be put in a warmer place to spend the rest of the night when the weather was colder. And some commentaries think that this is a parable and has been referred to as a parable. It's not quite clear that it is. But that is not the main point. It's the truth of the text that we are seeing here. In the same way that the shepherd separate the goats from the sheep, the Lord will separate one person from another. See in our text in verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him. Imagine the Seriousness. Imagine how sober, sobering is going to be sobering. That's that moment. Every human being before Christ glorified in power. And he will separate people one from another. Can you imagine that picture where the separation is of eternal proportions? 
Not to ever, ever, ever be again. Never. Never more to see each other. To communicate with each other. Never ever to know anything about each other and this for eternity. So brothers and sisters, it's important to pause and look at the scene that we have in our text. When we look at what the Lord is doing, the judge of all earth, separating human beings like the shepherd separates the goats and the sheep. And we see in our text that verse 33, he will put the sheep on his right and the goat on his left. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on, on his left. The right is a sign of trust, of power. Of authority. We see that Christ, when he finished his work of salvation, in the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> he went to the right hand of the Father. Christ ascended and was given a place of authority, power, and dominion with the Father as the second person of the Trinity. In this case... He will separate the sheep and put them to his right in a place of favor, of blessing, of authority, together with him. But we see that he will put the goats to his left, on his left. A place of no favor, of no grace, of no blessing. And we will be touching more upon that part of the goats in later verses. We see that the reason that Christ used when we go to verse 34 to separate them is not because they believe in him, not because they profess to know him, not because they profess to love him. We see in our text none of that. What the person thought about Christ or what the person said about Christ. Let's read verse 34, then the king, Christ, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, prepare for you since the creation of the world. So we see that this kingdom, that the sheep, those are his right. The kingdom that they are receiving was prepared for them before the universe existed. That was in the eternal past, in the plan of the Father. And that kingdom came to be given to them at the judgment of the nations by Christ. But let's see in verse 35, for the reason of this. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me. I needed, verse 36, I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. So, 
what are we seeing here? We are seeing that Christ is talking to those that the Father has given a kingdom before the foundation of the earth, of the world. And now he is telling them to those that the kingdom was given, that the kingdom is given to them for the love, the compassion that they showed to those in need. In verse 35 we read, And I was hungry, and you give me something to eat. Thirsty, and you give me something to drink. Stranger, and you invited me in. What are we to make of this? Is the Lord not taking into account that they repent and believe? But dear brothers and sisters, the text is clear. Those that by faith in the perfect merit of Christ and in the complete work of redemption on the cross are safe, it's inevitable that their life will be compromised, committed in deeds of good works. So we commonly see on the book of Ephesians in chapter uh, 2 how people quote these verses, 8 and 9, that many of us know by memory. That by grace we are saved through faith, and this is not of us, but a gift of God, not by works that nobody should boast. And there's truth there 100%. No doubt about it. But verse 10 is what many times we neglect in paying attention to. <clears throat> I will read verse 10 for you, brothers and sisters. For we are his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the same works that Christ is praising in our text are the works that the same Father that gave the kingdom before the foundation of the world to those to his right, predestined to them in walking in those works. So we are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. So that makes a big difference. We are not preaching salvation by works, but we are saved to work. To work in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God that is here now among us. <clears throat> so, I think, and as, sorry, brothers, <clears throat> as I was preparing the, the sermon yesterday, I was thinking about the society that we live in, and that may have a particular <clears throat> application to us. We live in a society that is wealthy. We have much more than most of the people on planet Earth. And I remember a brother uh, praying how we wake up and we have food and we have warm houses and we have cars. And we do. Most of the people on planet Earth don't have none of those things in a regular basis, if they do at all. So, 
in our text, we see that we have the blessing of food, the blessing of provision in this society. And in our text, we see how Christ talk about supplying the needs of the needy, giving food to those that have no food, visiting those that are in prison, dressing those or clothing those that don't have clothes. And we have resources, we have uh, gifts, abilities and talents that are given by the Lord to us and they are a blessing but it can become a double-edged sword because we may use those gifts to bless others. That prosperity may mean blessing to others in needs. May mean clothing those that have no clothes. Thinking about a missionary in a faraway land without resources. Thinking in people in our area that has no food. But those resources may become too the center of our life. And we may use them to get those possessions those good to hoard them, to use them just for us, and to focus on ourselves. There you see how, thank you brother, how that can become a risk for somebody, risky. Something that may be a blessing or maybe a burden in the judgment day. So when we think about that, we want to think twice of what are we doing with what has been given to us. We are saved by grace, but the judgment is by works. And we will be held accountable of what we did with the things that the Lord gave us. And the implication is inevitable. That means that everything in our life belongs to Christ. Our resources, our abilities, our gifts, our skills. Because in that day, we will give an account to the owner of those resources. To the one who gave it to us. To employ them in his kingdom. <clears throat> so we don't want the trivial, spiritual, sterile life. Sits in us. Comfortable in our homes. With so much need around. And we should see those needs. And Christ himself said that the poor always will be with us. We should see those needs as means of serving. And that should be your delight. That should be your pleasure to do that. Because in that Christ will be conforming you to his image. Like the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life for many. We are not giving our life to save anybody, but to bless others with the blessing that we've been giving by grace. And that will bring to my, uh, bring, brought to my mind preparing the, the sermon, Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, in the same context. In the Gospel of Luke, in the same context of the second coming, 
in Luke chapter, chapter 12, the Lord calls us to be alert, awake, working for his kingdom. Um, I will read those two verses, Luke 12, for those of you that are following with, with, with your Bibles, verse 47 and 48. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone, and this is the part that I want to focus on here, emphasize, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. I really believe, dear brothers and sisters, that we will be here held to a higher standard than many Christians around the earth. John Piper, and many of you know who he is, wrote that we should be a conduit, a conduit of God's blessing, not a cul-de-sac. Blessings through flow from us to others. We should not keep them for us because we want them to bless others in the same way that Christ blesses. us. In other words, our well-being, our prosperity materially, speaking with skills, knowing scripture, being able to preach the gospel, to teach others, to give our time and talents, will be used to work in the kingdom of Christ. <clears throat> and it should be our delight as we battle with our flesh to hold those blessings. We should delight in giving them away in the same way, same way that Christ gave himself for us. Um, for many reasons that don't need to occupy us today, there's an overemphasis in, I believe in Christ, I'm safe, and I go to heaven. And that's true. There's truth in it. But there's more than that. Because we are safe, as we said before, for works in the kingdom. And the kingdom is here in our midst. The kingdom is not coming. The kingdom arrived at the first coming of Christ. We are the kingdom of God, and we are to work in his service. So we are expected to be safe, to work, to work for the Lord. And the fact that we trust in Christ, that you trust him in his merits, and his work on the cross, should just be visible in the way that you live, in the way that you act every day. Let's read um, Matthew chapter 37. So I want to read those three verses now, 37 through 40. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? 
or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and inviting you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king, Christ, will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, of mine, you did for me. So we see here that uh, those that are rejected by society, the nobodies, without food, that have no financial achievement, has no 401k, and there's nothing wrong with all those things. Many times are the children of God. Serving them is serving Christ. Being a blessing to them is blessing the Lord. They are part of His body. And even though our Lord taught us in Scripture, in many places, uh, the Good Samaritan uh, parable, and those things that our neighbor is anybody, even beyond the kingdom. So, as we serve those that are not of name and appreciated by society, we are serving the King Christ. And here in our last three verses that we read from 37 through 40, we see the evidence that the righteous ones were not doing those deeds to be safe. They were not even aware when they did those deeds that they were saving Christ. They were asking, when did we see you naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick and visited you? When did we see you hungry and fed you? They were not even aware because it becomes second nature to not live for us, but for him who saved us by serving others in need, in whatever need, physical need, emotional need, spiritual need. I don't think that uh, this list that we have here is uh, complete about the many things that we can do for others. So, going now to the last, uh, uh, to the next four verses, let's read uh, verses 41 to 44. And then I will put there part B of the 33, but the goats on the left, and 41 and 44. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also... They also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? I will read then the next two verses to complete it. 
45. Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, uh, you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And it is important to remember that profession of faith does not mean possession of that faith. While we profess, profess with our mouth, not necessarily equals what we really believe and treasure in our life. And that brought to my mind there, uh, James, the, in the book of James, in chapter 2, when we see that the Lord is talking about faith and works. But uh, just before we read the text, keeping in mind that uh, those who didn't serve Christ recognize Him as Lord. If we go to our text, we see that in verse 44, when the Lord told them that they did not serve Him by not serving others in need, look in verse 44. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, if we notice, they recognize Christ as Savior, as Lord and King. And right in the context of the second coming, with the glorified Christ, we see them calling Him Lord. That is a sign, you are the King. You are Lord and Savior. But that was not what Christ was taking into account at that moment, but their life. In that day, everything will be clear. How we use our talents. What we really treasure. Everything will be exposed to the light. What we really appreciated. What we longed for. What type of life we wanted to live. Who did we wanted to serve. Who did we really trust. It's going to be evident. Without a doubt. And we see how they are telling him. Right in his face. Lord. But they were deceived. They were deceived. We see that a life that is not changed is not indwelled by a genuine faith. And that's when uh, I was thinking about the text in James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. And look what it says here. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Source of faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And again, I think the text is simple and clear. A fruitless faith, a faith without good works, is dead and cannot save. And we just see it over and over in Scripture. 
If you are not transformed by your faith, if you are not taken out of your shell, of your comfort zone, your faith is not proving to be, in the first place, that powerful faith that raised you from the death spiritually, that brought you to life with Christ. A faith that cannot transform, cannot save. Um, that faith will produce works. To love those created in the image of God. To love those that has eternal souls in the way to hell if they don't receive the gospel. If through our love we don't get to them in their time of need to bring Christ and show compassion with good deeds. If your faith don't take you there, it's good to stop and analyze it. Meditate on it. Reflect on it. Tremble because something may need to be checked. If we truly love God, we will love those missing His image. If we truly love God, then we will love those that He made, that He created. Because the Spirit is working that in all of those who love God in sincerity. And truth according to his word. So in conclusion, we saw two points. Every human being will have a judgment day before Christ. All of us. And your life is a visible manifestation of your faith. It's an open book that tells people what you truly believe. And uh, quickly as a way of application, dear brothers and sisters, uh, these verses are challenging. By, as I was preparing the text, it's, uh, it's a lot there. <laughs> and it shows us that the Christian life is about the supremacy of Christ. Christ is not an add-on. We have a job now. We have a 401k. We raise the children. They are doing okay. Now I need Christ. Christ is everything. Somebody has no family, no 401k, no children, and they have Christ, they are complete. If the Holy Spirit brought conviction to, conviction to you, pray the Lord, asking for forgiveness, and start engaging intentionally in so many opportunities that we have to serve others. Here in the church, Many ministries, many things that can be done. Time, your talents, your gift, resources, they are so many, limitless. Those afflictions that we see around us, those trials, suffering, are opportunities to serve others. Even if you don't see an immediate need around you, there's still many others, multiple needs everywhere, even overseas, if that were to be the case. And that brings to mind the text in uh, Acts 20, 35, where Paul tells, And remember the Lord Jesus Christ that said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And if anybody is in this room without Christ, and has not trusted Jesus, then you have great reason to fear. Jesus is coming back 
to judge the world. He's coming back to judge you. For you to give an account of what you did with the life that he in his love gave you. And this sermon should be a wake-up alarm calling you to salvation. Calling you to trust in Christ and give your life to him. So brothers, let's uh, praise and close. Uh, Apply, uh, asking the Lord to apply his word to our hearts. Thank you, Father, for your word. Apply it to our hearts. Oh, Lord, the mistakes, the distraction of the preacher, take that out of the way. And put your word, apply with your spirit, that may be a blessing to your people and to those that don't know you. In Jesus we pray. Amen.